Podcast. This is John. This is Trab. This is Rich. Blimey. Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Your podcast of keeping a stiff upper lip and keeping those slimy wonkers from getting away with thinking that they're the up and coming ones. Right there, lad. Right. <laughs> Dead chuff to do this one tonight, folks. Yes, we're all going to do our horrible, horribly bad Britishing accents tonight. You know that. Not through the entire thing. No, just no, no, no. <laughs> this week we are talking about the Victorians. Now, you have been following our podcast for two hundred and eighty some episodes. You know that the Victorians are part of the Fringeworthy game, and they are probably the the strongest ally. I de- thinks it has. And but the thing is, the secret dirty truth is is that they're just putting up with us because they know that they were here first and they're going to be here last and they're better than us. Oh, quite right, yeah, lad. <laughs> so this is John's show. Uh, because he's been working on the uh, D20, I'm sorry, the Savage Worlds edition of Fringeworthy, and he's been supposedly for like three to seven years uh, been working on the Victorians to make them as, you know, fully fleshed as possible. And so we're going to hand it over to John and let him tell us all about him. Yes, I do like I do like to hear myself speak. So yes, oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, it's even longer than that because I think I mentioned Victorians to Richard way back when, and that's when they showed up in the what the eighty three book or which book did they show up in, Richard? Um, nope, that was the that might have been the eighty three book. But we're yeah, but we're talking about you know the the latest incarnation, the one that's going to be in the Savage Worlds edition, and any changes that you have decided to uh, in, uh, invoke on them or revoke upon upon the uh, game universe for their benefit. That's uh, that's what you need to tell us about. Yeah, I mean that's the biggest thing. Uh, part of this is already in the D twenty book, but I had to actually make some had to reread my history to get the times right. So originally, I actually had Napoleon dying on the way back from Moscow. If he did that, did that, then the entire timeline is completely screwed up. Okay, so you're talking about the alternate timeline that's on the Victorian world. That's correct. All right. The point of the point of divergence is Napoleon dying from an early invasion of 
Russia. So basically, he's crossing the river uh, Neiman. Uh, normally, in our in our timeline, he crossed it uh, April twenty eighth. Well, that's a few days after the War of eighteen twelve, which which is what I want to stop from happening. So, in this case, he crosses it on April third, and is wounded in battle. Um, cannon shot. Interestingly, ironically enough, uh, basically, a cannon a can shrapnel hits him and wounds him in the stomach, and he dies. Several days later, on April eighth, war is kind of over at that point. I mean, the the generals, the, the, several of his generals are already thinking uh, thinking of doing coups. In fact, one does a coup while he's in in our time. One does a coup while he's in in Russia, at least tries to do one. Well, with no Napoleon there, it's sort of like what happened with uh, uh, with um, Alexander the Great when he died. Uh, his general, Alexander's general, just carved up the the empire into their own little dominions. Well, Napoleon's generals do some of the same things. Only the only problem is that they only really control France, so they carve up France into little small, a couple kingdoms and a uh, republic dictatorship and a uh, short-lived socialist commune. And yeah, so France is no longer an issue, and because the war is over. A lot of things changed then. The, one of the reasons for the War of 1812 was, was was called the British Orders of Council in 1807. These were basically rules put in place to prevent uh, people from trading with the with the French, which what the Americans were doing. So that this would they would come in and impress our sailors and basically uh, press gang men into the British Navy. And yeah, we, that was just as a source of, uh, of frustration with the Americans and almost started a war by itself. But here, war's over. They rescind the orders. They rescind the orders of, of, of council, and the, the reasons for the War of eighteen twelve are over. They, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Oh, now this has a straight. This has an add-on effect in that that means. The election of 1812 does not happen during the War of 1812. That means Madison doesn't win. DeWitt Clinton wins the election. <laughs> so that's another ma- major change. And for those who understand why that's important, DeWitt Clinton was a moderate. He actually didn't want war. He actually was running on an anti-war platform, if you can believe it, at the time. And... With him out, with him involved, well, it's sort of a lot of folks don't like him, especially a lot of the frontiersmen. Uh, these these are the folks who causes cause a lot of the problems in our timeline. Well, they make you more problems for for for, for poor old Dewitt. Um, uh, first, there's the invasion of the, of the city of the city of Sandwich, otherwise known in our time as Windsor. <laughs> Yeah, it was called Sandwich back then. But basically, what we have instead of the War of 1812, we have the War of 1813, which goes kind of wrong uh, for Americans. Because instead of sending over, you know, team, you know, second second league uh, s- soldiers, because that's all they really had, the Britons can send over Wellington and battle-hardened troops who fought the French during the Peninsula Wars. So it's going to be a major route. In fact, it's going to be such a route that New England states, which almost surrendered in our time, surrender. They say, oh, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome our queen and uh, king and ruler, you know, King George, our ruler. Um, 
New York City basically surrenders and say, have a port, come on in, you know, bring your trade. So the war is mostly in the mid-Atlantic states and the uh, southern, southern states uh, of reconquest. And it's reconquest. It's a reconquest. They, they basically sweep through and take, take back the colonies and the territories they claimed, all except for one place, Louisiana. For the same reasons why they had a hard time in, in our timeline to, to attack uh, New Orleans, they still have the same problem. Andrew Jackson and the swamps and the Choctaw Indians of, of New Orleans. He basically has more time to set, set up shopping and defend and more or less uh, keeps, them at, keeps them at a standstill and is able to negotiate a treaty to keep a small portion of Louisiana. Um, it's it, which will come and bite him in the butt later on, uh, for for other reasons. But right now, he basically he, it's the only bit of America left, and it's not really much of America because first thing Andrew Jackson does is re- realize he can't have a, a president, so he institutes a constitutional monarchy. You know, so whoever is in charge is in charge for life, but they have to be voted in position. Uh, of course, the people who vote are of course people who have money and land, so. We know who, how that works out in, 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 for most folks. But, yeah. Uh, the British immediately, uh, you know, set up a, a new government in New York City. It's basically the, the, the seat of government in, in, in the reconquered colonies. Uh, the colonies are re-divided up. Basically, they said, okay, we're going to just go break them up so they're no longer in the same, same collections they were before. So that we now have these little provinces, and there and there's about, about um, thirteen. I know uh, it's about fourteen provinces are now in the in, in the colonies. They break up several and recombine to like Georgia and Alabama. Now are two colonies, but cut across lengthwise instead of you know left to right instead of right right to top. So things like that. So um, like I said. Europe, I mean, basically Europe is busy trying to, re, re, you know, fix itself up after the war. Uh, France is broken up into various little empires. That's right. France is divided into five separate states. Divided basically along language and cultural lines. So there are two kingdoms, the Kingdom of Normandy and the Kingdom of Provençal. There is the New Republic of France and the Republic of Gascony. There also was the Socialist they the basically the Commune of Paris, which lasts about as long as you think it would, and gets subdivided into the other into the other four kingdoms. Um, California breaks free of Spanish rule. They basically both North and South, basically California and Baja California break free at this point. Hmm. And then years later, they find gold in San Francisco. And but to prevent a uh, gold rush, it becomes a state asset. So it, it, if you if you know, claim jumper tries to get gold out of California, you'll get shot by by Californian troops. It is a it is a state resource, not a uh, free resource. So it's under the uh, basically the the uh, I don't want to call him a president. He's more like. Um, <sighs> Well, he's, he's in the, in the, in the way he's, I would call constitutional, um, 
monarchies except that this one is decided by the dons. So this is more uh, what would that be? Would that what would that be called? Basically, the the the, the nobles of of California decide who's going to be the leader amongst them. Wasn't there a term in Zorro um, alcalde or something like that? Yeah, basically, that's just alcalde. like a governor. That's like a governor. Uh, yeah. This case, it, it, but basically, you had he's more like a. I would basically call him say he's a he's a king, but in every name but king. You know, he rule he he rules for a short period of time. Then the dons decide how well he's doing the job, and if he's not, he gets he gets voted out, and a new one gets voted in his place. So it's not for life like it is in Louisiana. <laughs> and then, of course, things things change. I mean, there's there's some major differences in this world from ours. Um, besides the the point of virgins, this place is more steampunkish. More, you know, Benjamin Franklin is a bit more steampunkier than he was in our timeline. Things are more steampunkier. Things are more more pulpish. You know, could you be a little bit more clear? Because not we we've had discussions about steampunk, and we we weren't in agreement on that. So, give an example how, uh, for example, uh, how Ben Franklin is more steampunkish or pulpish. Okay. Well, in this case, not only does he create the lightning rod, he he finds ways of storing the electricity from the lightning rod and turns it into. Uh, a form of motive power for a vehicle. Oh, what did they call them? Uh, Winslet jars or something like that? Laden uh, uh, piles and... Uh, Laden, yeah. yeah Laden jars and piles, yeah. And okay. he basically, he basically made, he makes an electric vehicle um, that doesn't work any, by any means that we can understand. But, you know, it works. Um <laughs> And things it, it, we when people come when when our folks come to this world and they start checking things out, one of the first things they say is be careful of your batteries because they probably have more power in them than you think they should have, because there because later on when the uh, when the when my players come to uh, uh, to uh, Victorian Prime actually we'll I'll just talk about that in a second um, they get to play with a uh, Edison electro rifle. It's basically a linear accelerator rifle that's the size of a regular rifle and uses basically a volta-pile, a volta-pile battery to, to fire it. The problem is, in the real world, it wouldn't work. In Victorian, on, on Victorian Prime, it works like a, it works at the same level as a rifle. Which, wow, okay. Yeah, trouble is, it, if you got a, a linear accelerator that's the size of a rifle, and you can fire, you get a bullet up to mock speed, it shouldn't leave it as a bullet. It should leave it as a stream of hot plasma. Yeah, I was going to say, that bullet <laughs> quick. So we yeah. can honestly say that there is some definite, quote-unquote, weird science at work. Yes, now, but not too weird, there is no Caverite. There's no what? <laughs> no, no, because because but, but Carrot doesn't Carrot doesn't exist here. You know, it basically it you know uh, maybe because Carrot blocks gravity. Well, no, so it doesn't exist here. Uh, and there was the and there was the gun club and and, and there was, there would have been a gun club that hadn't been for the Victorians. So there's no, of course, there's no cannon in Florida to launch projectiles into space. 
you've talked before that there is a very strong literary element in uh, the Victorian world. And as we've discussed in other shows, uh, a literary node is a world in which stories actually have, you know, cause things to happen. They, you know, things that shouldn't happen uh, uh, do happen because of a story that's been written that that makes them happen, essentially. Uh, It also is because we refer to parallel worlds versus alternate worlds because things that shouldn't exist do exist, like imaginary characters on one world are are real characters on another. So how much literary is in the Victorian world? It's enough that when you hit the note, if, if say you're say I'm going, you're traveling and you're going, you want to travel past the Victorian node, the second you hit the alternate platform, you're in a story. And until you resolve that story, you're not going to leave that platform. <clears throat> so it's a strong story element there. So something will happen that will draw you off, either to one of the alternates or back down to the prime or something. You know, basically when we. we We've always talked about this. Never have a story that happens just because the players show up. The exception is when you come to a story verse. When you come to a story verse, those things happen all the time. You show up, there's a story going on, and, you, and you're involved. Okay, but doesn't that mean that literally you, you no one can ever go uh, east, so to speak, or right? Uh, because the next plat- uh, well, two platforms over, they're going to get stuck. Yes. You get stuck in the story. It may be a short story. Maybe this thing you have to deal with. It doesn't have to be a long story, but it, you, it will take. It may take you at very least a day to resolve the story, and then continue on east. So yeah, it, you know, zoom, 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 stop. Zoom, 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 and you hit the next story verse uh, node, and then you get stuck, stuck again. This this happens in every story verse node. You enter, you're in a story, and you got to resolve the story first before you can go on. <laughs> Okay. You know, it's, you know, that's why people love to train because the train just goes right through and doesn't bother. Well, also once you once you learn that if you go the opposite side through a portal, uh, through the the transit uh, the the pathway portals, that you'll also jump a platform. So if they really are once they learn that this happens, then it's it's something that might have to be planned for. Uh, they might literally have to build out uh, a, uh, well, basically a, a, a roundabout, okay, on the end of the of, of the platform, uh, the roadway that goes to the Victorian platform, so they can jump past it. Well, that or make, like I said, make use of the fact that uh, was it the planetary crystals? Um, Richard, what, how do we jump again? How how can you skip a platform, or can you skip a platform? <clears throat> Call a train. Call a train. So you have to call a train to get around it. All right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, well, you can do it without it, but yeah, the train's the easy way. You know, the thing is, you do, the second you go through the 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 fifty foot portal, you're in their node space. It doesn't matter if you want to build a train track around it. You're in their node space, and the story starts. No, I disagree, John. But go go ahead. I mean, I don't see why that would be. The whole point of it is to is to jump past the platform. So if you go and, and create a, 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 a let's say a, a structure you build around the end of the end of the roadway all the way around the backside of the fifty foot portal, okay, and then you go through that side, you should be appearing on the roadway past that platform. That's what we said. Hmm. No, 
That isn't what I've. Okay, I hear. That's what we said a long time ago about going, you know, a way to jump past platforms is that you go through the backside of the pathway portal and that sends you to the opposite side of the platform that you'd be in. Bruce, we've also said that's the way to sneak onto a platform was go around the backside and sneak onto the platform from the other side of the the ring. We said both of those things. I've never said that. Yes, you actually have. <laughs> no, I've said you can do that as far as going through the the planetary portals, but not the pathway portals. You, you eventually will find a way to get around it. But yes, up until that point, yes, you hit you hit the alternate platform. You're in a story. The big question is for the GM: is are you protagonists, antagonists, or point of view characters? Because you don't necessarily have to be the protagonist in the story. You could be, you know, you know, you have you know, a good example, Doc Savage. You're you're the rest of his crew. But Doc Savage is the person is the protagonist. You know, you know, it, it's basically who's driving the story. Is it is it the team driving the story or is it another person driving the story? The thing is the team can still contribute. Uh, in this case, a great example is I ran Sherlock Holmes and the Dancing Men as a story in London. Uh, alternate Sherlock Holmes exists in this world. So does his brother Mycroft, and they're both you know exactly what you think they should be. Mycroft is the British government, more or less, um, <laughs> and Sherlock Holmes is, is is the world's greatest detective. And they got involved in the Dancing Men story. I made some alterations to the story because the world's different, um, but still, the, it was the Dancing Men story. Uh, and Sherlock Holmes was the protagonist, but the players got to do a lot. A lot of things in the story. They actually, because Sherlock Holmes is not a person who really gets into gunfights. It was the players who end up taking down the bad guys. Uh, so yeah, there, there are ways of doing this, um, uh, doing a story where you're not the protagonist and still have lots of fun and still have lots of uh, agency in the story. You know, just because you you know you you don't get get to wear the protagonist hat doesn't mean you don't get to get to be um, a driver of the story. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but you see, like I said, yeah. So yes, you, you have people there like Sherlock Holmes, his brother Mycroft. His brother Mycroft is more or less the real person in charge of uh, of of Teus, though on the masthead it says uh, Viscount uh, Greystone is the head of of Teus. Uh, but really, it's Mycroft, who run, who's basically the person behind pulling the strings, because it is such a game changer. Um, uh, like I said, it's a story verse, so you'll run, you'll run to Professor Challenger. And yes, that does mean, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the, lost, the Lost World of Dozig is there. And maybe so is a place, you know, uh, and maybe there's Lost Temp- and Well, Haggard, or Haggard's uh, character, um, uh, Alan Quartermain, he's there too. And a few other places, you know, and there was some, there was some team powered guy, you know, robot running the, running the planes of the American Commonwealth, you know, steam powered, steam powered robot, you know, and all these various things are there. I mean, at least, but of course they're all different because we're, we're not really, you're not really in America anymore. You're in someplace else. And that's an important, kind of an important, I call this a plot point. The America here is a British America. It, you know the people there. The accents have changed, but they're not American accents. They're much more British in their accents 
than 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 we would assume. So, yeah, when the guy when the folks from America start talking, they sound they have an accent that does not exist on this world. You know, uh, there's no the New York accent's completely different. Uh, someone from Alabama starts talking, they don't know where he's from because <laughs> that accent doesn't exist. At all, period. The closest you might get to is Louisiana, but that accent's more Cajun than anything else because of the major of all the of all the French and uh, Creole uh, influences in, the, in that little country. So yeah, uh, this is a it's an interesting place. I mean, you have to understand when you come when you ent- the primary entrance to this world is through the uh, the the Congolese protectorate. So when you come on through, you're going to end up speaking Congolese as your common language amongst your players. You know, which could be interesting because that means you can go to, go to England and talk amongst yourselves in Congolese and then most people won't get it. Most. You know, um, there's actually three open portals on, on, the, uh, on, uh, on the Victorian's Prime. Uh, that's the Congolese Protectorate. Uh, there's one in India. Uh, where is the other two? Is it, is it three or? There we go. I'm seeing. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, status. I see one, two. I see five of them are active. Uh, I, I I closed off four more of them because one of which is, of course, is the um, um, uh, Nemo's lair. Well, you got the Ice Cave, the Velengara Crater in Senegal, the Kubu Island in Botswana, Mokele oh, yes. and the Roman Temple to Jupiter. I'm, I've got the D21 up here, folks. Right. Now, understand that the, the Roman Temple to Jupiter is actually right outside of Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so when you say these things, sometimes, you know, you need to put them into their context on the world. Okay, we there's three of them that are. Um, is it three or four of them that are in Africa? The Mo- Mozambique is, Botswana is, Senegal is, um, and I think that's that is it. Yeah. So there's three in uh, Africa. Oh yeah, the Congolese one, uh, the one. In, yeah, that's right. The one and the uh, in the Sand Sea in uh, Zambia. It's bots. It's Botswana. Botswana, yes. yes. Right. It's not a sand sea. It's a. It's a salt flat. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's a gigantic salt flat. Except for this little island in the middle of the salt flat, and that's where it is. It's actually on that little island. It's not an island. It's a big. Ch- it's a big chunk of rock. Okay. Let's let's let's. I, I have spent a lot of time looking at this recently, uh, uh, John. And what we have here is you have a, a basically a large area of impenetrable ground. So and it's because it's a salt flat. And you look around and you see nothing but salt or anything. But what happens is, is that if it ever rains, and it does rain occasionally, okay, suddenly that water, which may only be an inch thick, covers, you know, from almost to the horizon. And it's like you're surrounded by water all of a sudden. And except you see that in the middle of this so-called ocean or whatever, you see birds standing because it's only a few inches thick. That's true, yeah. And some, there's some really tremendous pictures that you can find on the internet, you know, about this place. And it's really very cool when it's raining. Yep. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was introduced to this place from uh, Top Gear. 
they actually were driving across it and they stopped in the middle of that little island. I basically said, that's a great place to put a, put a portal. <laughs> Boom, right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the three, okay, I, I'm, I'm pairing it back to three, though. And that was the, the gate in Congo, in, so the Congolese, the gate in the, in the, in the Congo, uh, the one in the, in the great Victorian desert, Victoria Desert in Australia. Right in the middle, half buried in sand, so they actually had to pop out. And then uh, another one is on the eastern shore of India, so, which actually is another plot point, which explains what happened to the sub. Okay, so I got a question about that one, because I looked at that, that also. Okay, now there's two places that I could see where it could be. One is this little, this it, it basically the, the river comes down, and then there's an opening and a little, like, J, practically, of land sticking out into the ocean just a little bit. Is it there, or is it in the island just inside the mouth of the, um, uh, of, of the river there, the, the Gurupur River? It's on the sandbar. <sighs> you didn't answer my question. There's an island in between, you know, in, in right at the mouth, okay, uh, of the uh, Gunapur River. Or there is this little spur of land that comes out at the mouth and juts out into the ocean. Which is it? It's that little spur of land. Okay. The one that juts into the ocean. Yes. Okay. All right. So because we, you know, we, were, we were looking at it and I was like going, well, you know, there's a <laughs> – uh, you talk about fishermen, but there's a ferry that goes right – the island, and I was kind of like, hmm. oh yeah, during their during, during their ex, during their exploration of the of, of the regions, that they, they, you know when they were checking out the open portals, they stepped through and they found themselves in this little this little sandbar, this little bit of land, and realized where are we? Well, let's take a walk. Oh, look! And they also realized they're all speaking Hindu. Yeah, there's a huge. Well, uh, <laughs> everything in India is huge. There's a huge city right next to this. Okay, I mean, it, it, it's this is not one of those isolated areas. You know, it's le- less than two miles away is a gigantic city. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's well gigantic. Now it wasn't. I actually went went looking for a survey map of the area, but the, the about right that time period, it's not as big. It's still there. You're right. Granted, 1900, not as big as 20, uh, 2017, but still, we're talking India. Lots of people. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I totally agree there. Yeah, it's just lots of people, and yeah, and here, there's, and there, and there's this place. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, that's one place, and the only in the middle of the desert where they base the Australian desert, uh, which the players helped them nail down exactly where it is because they knew they were in the southern hemisphere, but they didn't know where in the southern hemisphere they were. You know, because because you're just popping out of the middle out of nowhere, and you don't know what's where you really are. So they were able to, with their better star charts, um, able to nail down exactly where they were. And they said, "Well, we're in the middle of the Australia of this desert." <laughs> well, now it's just a matter of running a computer program. You just take a camera, point at the sky. By the time the night's over, by mapping the stars in the sky, you'll know, you'll know the you know the the longitude latitude where you are pretty close. So that's what my players do all the time. They don't they don't bother to to try to figure stuff out. They just say let's let the stars tell us. Yeah, it's basically it's figuring out when you know, getting the time where the time from where you are that tells you where you are on the longitude. 
Latitude's not odd. Latitude, anyone can do with it. It's easy to do. It's longitude that's the hard part if you don't know what time you're at. You know, so that that that's why when when that, that's why the Admiralty paid so much for a reliable timepiece that can work on boats, on ships, so that they can tell what time it is, so they can figure out where they are in the sky and the stars. You know, because that's just a matter of time at that point. So anyway, anyway, yes. So these those are three fours are open, um, and yeah, the the, the Victorians, you know, and it's found by Viscount Ter- Terence uh, Greystone. Uh, Viscount of the of, of County Greystone. Now, is it this the dad or the son that found it? S- son that found it. His father, Lord Lord John Greystone. Um, it's a wonderful picture of him, and you know, I, I love having this scene with the players. They come into the into their house, and they go to the uh, trophy room, and there, four times, no, three times as big as life, is a portrait of Lord John Greystone in his loincloth. <laughs> And 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 knife. And he said, he, when he hunted animals, he hunted them like that. Well, it's only sporting. It's there are elephants in this room. Now think about that. He took down an elephant with a knife. Well, he certainly didn't choke him down. That's BMF right there, folks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's because we didn't. Want, I didn't. We don't want to get sued by a certain uh, family. Pearls. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> it's he's Tarzan, you know, and his uh, and his son is boy. You know, only you know, only they have a only this Tarzan fought in the, in the wars when basically in the 1870s there was the, the Great War of Europe, and this is where a lot of new technology got developed. Um, everyone got involved except for England, which sat back and said, "Nah, we'll sit this one out." And everyone's everyone's busy up here. Okay, let's go down. Let's go down and take a few places from other folks. So they went down and took the Belgians, took away uh, the Congo from the Belgians, took away other places from other people who were busy involved in uh, in fighting a war in Europe to a more or less to a standstill. There really wasn't anything gained or lost. Uh, there's no real. There's no Germany. There's basically Bavaria, Saxony, Prussia, and Austria, and there really never is a united Germany at this point. So just those Germanic states, which is another change in politics. But yeah, Britain comes along and, you know, uh, I actually got a map. But I got asked permission from the, from the guy who created it if I can use it. But I, I can think I can share it with you guys if you want to see what the map looks like. Let me just uh, do this. Open it up. Uh, he actually, he, the first I got this from does a lot of stuff on deviant art. He does a lot of... Um, um, Alternate world stuff, and it's he, some wonderful stuff. He does he does some wonderful stuff, and I basically borrowed one he did for a variation. Actually, I kind of actually do own this map because it's based on my Victorian prime Victorian world from another game I ran uh, in the Alternate History Travel Guides, uh, which is a long running five year long running play by post game, and he made up the map. So yeah, there it is. So let me go. And share it with you guys. Where's come on Skype? So yeah, it's the the so everything's you know the the, the map is radically different. There's a lot of Britain. The sun does not set on 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 England in this in this timeline. Well, it sort of does once you get in the middle of the Pacific, but you know, um, Calif- Well, yeah, California uh, actually is, is lays claim to uh, to the Sandwich Islands. 
otherwise known as uh, Hawaii, though they do give a, a nicer, prettier name of. Uh, oh yes, Isla da Patria de Hawaii. <laughs> so Hawaii is a Spanish island here. Um, Spain is a unique blend of Spanish, American Indian, Russian, and British cultures. So the English is kind of um, a mix, mixed bag. It's Spanish with lots of lots of borrowing. So another major change here is um, Charles Babbage builds his analytical engine. Ah, yes. Uh, and working with Joseph Henry. Now, for a lot of people, you're going to go, who? Joseph Henry was actually the guy who worked with Morris. Um, he was, of course, born before the, 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 uh, uh, the point of version, so he exists. So, but Joseph Henry is, was a physicist. Uh, and together, the two of them create this ability for the Babbages to talk to each other over telegraphic lines. So, so here, tele- telegraphy becomes something that you can do with a Babbage much faster than any human could and relay messages and relay, relay them correctly to various places. Well, more or less correctly. We all know how programming goes. Uh, but yeah, so yes, there's a, there's a Victorian internet in place, a, a real Victorian internet through telegraphy. North America is basically consolidated into a single entity in, in, in 1855, the Commonwealth of, of America. The Commonwealth consists of both Upper and Lower Canada, the former United States and territories, Florida, which it got from Spain, um, everything except for the Maritimes in Canada. That actually belongs to the North, to the, to the um, um, Danes. They actually control that. Hmm. Okay. Well, not Danes. Uh, would it be, uh, is it Norse? Norwegians? I, I want to say, uh, yeah, the Norwegians. It belongs to the Norwegians, actually. But it's not really notable enough. I mean, it's the Maritimes. It's freaking cold. Um, it's really nothing more than just a portion, really a, a portion of Greenland when it comes right down yeah, to it. Yeah, for, for people who may not know, that would be like, <laughs> Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, mm-hmm. all those eastern, far eastern parts of Canada, folks. Well, if you look at that picture, it's that little pink bit on the map. So it's just the northern portions of the Maritimes. So they kept the good ones for themselves, for the England. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, still, just there may not, there may be some people that may not know what you refer to by the Maritimes. Yeah. Just clarifying. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can see there, yeah, you can look at the map. So there's a lot of red there. Uh, India is is broken up into a bunch of little principalities. Uh, the India, the East India Trading Company uh, is busy you know, doing its thing. A lot there, a lot of these things are a lot of these places are run not by the government, but they're actually run by corporations. Uh, Hudson Bay controls a good portion of the north of the Northern American Commonwealth. You know, that's a big company. It's basically uh, dealing with everything. Um, yeah, and uh, now the bi- the big difference here is that unlike um, us, when we expanded west, 
the Britons, the British have always were, were always more like let's treat with them instead of conquer them, let's convince them to join instead of conquer them, and so there's a lot of American Indians were more or less absorbed into the British into the into new American Commonwealth instead of conquered and and wiped out. So this that is another difference. There's a lot more uh, diversity. A lot more diversity. You'll find you'll be walking the streets of New York City, and you will walk past a Choctaw. You will walk past a Iroquois, and not think twice about it. You know, they're just there's other American citizens. The only sore point for everybody is that little spur up the Rocky Mountains between North America, between the Commonwealth, California, Mexico, and uh, Russian America. It's this little spur in the Rocky Mountains that more or less is one is one province, and it's controlled by a governor who really doesn't care, because it's a haven for well, bandits and the infamous air pirates. Oh, okay. So they've got air pirates. They have air pirates in air in airships. <laughs> Uh, and, and to help fight that, of course, there is the there is the uh, North American Constabulary, Air, Air Constabulary. The uh, basically, the, so there there's uh, <laughs> with their own airships. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of battles back and forth. And uh, yes, uh, the, be- the 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 nice thing is that all the all the military ships are using imported helium from the Republic of Tejas, which is of course Texas. Only it's Tejas because it's mostly Mexican instead of American, but yeah, they still they they do, they do discover helium in the in their various uh, gas mines, the gas wells they've been digging, and they go, oh, we can sell this. Well, it doesn't have to be gas, by the way. You also get them at regular petroleum wells. That's true too. You're right. So yeah, so it's it's actually a major resource for them. It's actually more it's it makes them more money than the oil does. Because it's basically they're one of the few groups that actually can produce helium on a, on a large basis. So yeah, so they're producing helium. It's a milt- it's a strategic gas. So it's you know high price for it, and you really can't get helium. Right. So they have uh, that level of uh, cryo uh, you know cryogenics. Then right. Yep. Steampunk. <laughs> That's how you get helium out of anything is that you have to distill all the other gases down until all that's left is helium and, and other things. Yeah. I, actually, I remember for the uh, I remember when I did the, uh, the Huichi, I wanted to have them to have helium without having cryogenics. Uh, or was it Huichi? No, it was a great train wreck. I think it was a great train wreck. They had helium, but it didn't have cryogenics. And I, I actually talked to a, a scientist and said, okay, it's doable. You could do it. But it's really and highly impractical. You're better off just freezing it, and you'll get it. So yeah, um, I decided to be nice here. And yeah, the the Tejas are uh, Tejans, Tejas. I don't know what the proper pronunciation for them. Well, the only other way of getting it is with fusion. Yeah, and they don't have that yet. But uh, yeah, uh, but yeah. So it's a tr- everyone else is using hydrogen gas. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> um. Uh, the biggest, the, the largest airship is the Ark Royale for Queen Victoria. Uh, imagine three Hindenburgs hooked together in, you know, in, uh, you know, so three Hindenburgs across and one Hindenburg long. 
That's her. That's her personal airship. It's the biggest thing you ever see flying in the sky. Nice. Well, there's there's really no limit to the you know the the size that you can make something as long as you make it you know have enough uh, airbags basically helium bags. And you make the skeleton rigid enough because, uh, unfortunately, wind is the wind uh, wind shear is the biggest demon for airships because you get the front air, front end in the wind shear and the other end not in the other in the wind shear and it can rip a ship in half. So yeah, it's laying down a good keel. Um, all the the British airships also use Hargreave rockets, um, which unfortunately have a slight little problem. They're hand they have to be hand touched off. Why? Uh, because that's the way they made them. I mean, literally, that's the way they made them. You basically, they're they they basically they're so yes. There's this room lining us in asbestos. It goes right through the right goes right through the hull. So it's open on both sides, and these guys walk around in asbestos suits, carrying touch carrying uh, wicks, and loading rockets, aiming them where they need to go, touching them off, and standing back from the blast. <laughs> Yeah, and when I told my friend Todd that he's in a room that's lined in asbestos, he said, I start scratching all over my place right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he teaches them how to make resin embedded uh, 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 plastic. His character t- teaches them how to make resin and make em- embed the, and embed the uh, asbestos in the resin. So at least it's not free like it is in these ships. You know, <laughs> uh, he says, he just, we probably should sell them Nomex. They'll be happy for that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Victorian is, uh, they, they basically rule a good portion of the world. I mean, when you look at the map, uh, there's uh, most of North America is British. There's some, a couple of places down in South America and along uh, Latin and Central America that are British. Uh, there are, of course, the uh, few locations along um, the southern along the southern portion of the Horn of Africa. And then, of course, there's the Congolese Protectorate, which goes right across to the other side of Africa. Several states there are all under British under British control. Uh, South America, uh, then an independent state is uh, the South American states they took from the uh, Boers. And then uh, the, the one that's in stripes is actually in conflict. Uh, the Basically... Multiple people want that one that's striped on the map. Um, they're basically fighting over it right now. So there's a w- little war going on there. Uh, they got a portion, a little bit of south of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. It's British. All of India, Pakistan, up to, what is that? There's Vietnam. There's Cambodia. Therefore, that is Siam. So, yes, yeah, Siam and a few other places are actually British. Uh, see, purple is is Italy. Italy actually has uh, Libya, uh, the Palestine, and a bit of what is that? I'm trying not not my geography's biting me in the butt. What is that there in the in the in the Indonesias? You lost me, John. South of the Philippines, north of like New Guinea or um, uh, west of New Guinea. Yeah, I'm blanking. I just. It's Indonesia. That's the best I got. Yeah, it's an Indonesian area. 
Uh, Japan doesn't have much in the way. China is pretty much uh, occupying a large area. The map looks a bit modern, but also not that much modern. Most of the Spanish states are free in South America. Uh, Spain only has a few other colonies left out there. Uh, and there's some other, other independents. But more or less, it's, it's a British state. I mean, it's British, you know, as far as New Zealand, as far, almost as far west as uh, the west, eastern border of Alaska. Because west of that, of course, is, is, Russian, is Russian America. Um, so, yeah. So, it, it's, it's a fairly large conquest. So, yes, this is a uh, Britain never set. Now, there are problems, of course. Uh, there are still those Americans who wish to be Americans and not British subjects. The Sons of Liberty are still active. Um, and that makes them one of the longest active, uh, I would say, terrorist groups out there because they were active during before the war, before the Revol- Revolutionary War. So yeah, the Sons of Liberty can can trace their roots right back to pre-revolutionary times, and they're busy trying to do what they can to you know uh, free free America from the from the from the yoke of the of the of the oppressor Brit- Britain. Uh, not doing too well about it in, in the process. Let's see. Um, oh, yes. And Queen Victoria is, is uh, yes, the monarch, but she's not the same Queen Victoria. Um, the, the big difference is um, her, basically, when Prince Albert died, she went into mourning for about a year. In our time, she basically was in mourning until she died. Uh, the difference is that she remembered a, a, a talk her father had given her about you know, you know, being a proper king, being a proper ruler. That you just can't rule from behind a window. You have to rule the people and rule them the way they need to be ruled. And she sort of you know picked herself up and said, "Okay, well, I have to do this. I mean, this this is my job." And basically, you know, dust herself off, took off the armband, stopped wearing black, and started being a queen. So an active Queen Victoria is a lot different than a non-active Queen Victoria. She's much more involved in politics. She's much more involved in all the marriages she's arranging with her kids and relatives in Europe. So, yes, if you think our Europe is fairly British, it's not like nothing like what, what, their, what Victorian Earth Europe is like. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, even, even <laughs> our world, the royal families of Europe are just so intermarried and interbred now. They're just basically one big family. I mean, so I can't imagine how it is in this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's much more active, much more, much more likely. In fact, I would imagine there's probably a few... Uh, uh, probably a few Spanish and uh, Mexican um, family members now, because Mexico is, a, is not a is not a democracy; it's an empire, or at least a kingdom. He calls himself an empire; they're really a kingdom, but yeah, it comes right down to it. Um, let's see what else you want to know. Um, oh, ask me some questions. Uh, you know, that's another way to do this. All right, so John. You know, most people are not going to be playing a Victorian campaign, okay? They're going to come to the Victorian world. So it's just, you know, what's, if you wanted, as a GM, you wanted to create iconic-type adventures, okay? Where would you do these things? What kind of adventures would you find expected, you know, that, that would really galvanize your players and get them into the idea of being on a Victorian world in different parts of the world? 
whenever a fridge race show up, they, they are invited to come visit England. Now, you can either do this by ship or you can do it by airship. Airship much faster. But that gives you open, leads you open when you as you're heading north from, from the Congo, you gotta pass over the Sahara and the Saharan uh, raiders. In fact, that's been to my pl- my players on the way back. They were they were in a uh, civilian craft, not a military craft. The raiders are smart enough not to attack a military craft. But on the way back, they're in a civilian craft. The best way to describe this civilian craft, remember um, the uh, the the air the airship from the Mummy movie. The second yeah. one? Imagine saying, this is a little bit bigger, but built like that. That was a civilian aircraft they were in. Oh. And, and, they, and, they get, and they got hit by both pirates and a sandstorm. But in the process, they find a lost city. And they basically investigate lost city and fight off the pirates. It's basically, I would call it almost a standard Victorian age pulp story. You know, you know, you're busy fighting off pirates in the in the sides of an ancient ancient uh, city uncovered by the desert sands, and you gotta hope it doesn't get covered again while you're still there. Um, they had a great time with that one, uh, especially capturing the enemy the the, the, the enemy pirate ship because their ship was more or less destroyed by the by the uh, storm. So they were able to, to capture the pirate ship and take that one back home. Of course, they had the singing like crazy, "Don't shoot us, we're we're good guys." Uh, <laughs> When it came to the next poor call, but uh, that's one thing. Uh, when they're in Victoria, actually, I, when I had them in, in the Congo, they were visiting the local city, uh, capital city, uh, which is outside uh, County Greystone, and Hong Chen got um, kidnapped, and therefore the entire story is about rescuing her from these. Basically, they're poachers, and they're really angry at um, Viscount Ter- Viscount Greystone. For keeping them out, keeping the poachers out of County Greystone, it's full of all these wonderful poachable animals. They would love to poach. Uh, so yeah, they kidnap Hong Chan, hoping that they can use her as a uh, as a ploy, as a uh, bargaining chip. They get access so they can get in there and at least you know hunt the animals for their own for their, for their own uh, needs and ends. And it ended up with the players rescuing her from uh, from from the po- from the poachers. Uh, scarring one of the poachers, basically uh, uh, the the good father who decided to take the uh, grenade launcher. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, loaded up loaded up with smoke grenades and fired one right in the chest of the of, of the main bad guy. Didn't kill him, but he had this impact scar from where the dang thing hit and went off in the middle of his chest. <laughs> Yeah, these are the, these are these aren't the smoke and the smoke and burn. These are these are explode and smoke grenades. You know, these are slightly different. Um, then, of course, he then vowed vengeance. And then the next thing we did was basically was a uh, battle between the the poacher basically got enough people together and found brought out some old Belgian cannons and laid seed to to uh, the, the to the Greystone Manor and. Uh, this is where I, I have problems with some of the rule sets because I'm going, okay, I'm doing mass combat. I'm using the Sarah's Rolls rules for mass combat. I did my very best to balance it out. The players creamed the poachers with the aid of the uh, uh, armed forces there in the, in, in the, in the Manson. Did I also mention that, that the Queen Victoria came for a visit at the same time? So, yeah, it was fun all around um, at that point. But, yeah, it, it's... They had great adventures, and also you don't have to actually adventure on Earth on Victorian Prime. 
you also can go to the alternate because two of the alternates, one goes to the Mars. I mean, if you go to the system prime, it goes to Mars. Victorian Mars with, you know, breathable atmospheres and Martians. Ah. <laughs> the Martians here are, are trilateral. So they're, you know, the, not quite tripods. They might run the tripods. You never know. But they're trilateral. And they, a lot of the critters just roll on legs, roll around and so forth. Or they spring off one end to the other in the low gravity. And if you go to Venus, it's Venus with swamps and dinosaurs. And as, as, as Todd found out, alligators. Uh, Todd found out because he was going to take a picture, get a sample. He's going to take a picture. So he takes the camera, leans down. Up comes the alligator. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that was interesting. And their, their, their alternate, really only one is really open in their alternate. And that's a pocket stop. Uh, it's they call it Olympus Mons. It's a hundred miles across. Uh, the edge of the walls it has fairly tall walls, but not insurmountable. You can you can climb up the walls, but if you go to top the wall and step to the other side, you come you you appear on the opposite side of the of the pocket stop. And in the center is this mountain. It's two miles tall, got a ten mile wall base. They call it Olympus Mons. It's more or less conical. Uh, they haven't climbed to it yet. They hadn't climbed to it in the story, but I figure that's something you know to explore. Why is there a mountain in the middle of this of this of this place? What's at the top of the mountain? That's something for a GM to decide and put up something up there. Hmm. And uh, and I guess if other adventure, I mean, yes, you have places like um, uh, what's it, uh, Maple White Island, Maple White Land, which is its proper name. We call it the Lost World. How many people, you know, we have dinosaurs, but hey, this is dinosaurs on top of, on top of a tepe. You know, that's fun to be had at that point. Because uh, I think Challenger hadn't actually gone to, the, to, to uh, Maple White Land uh, in 1897. 1887? What's the year? Uh, I think the opening year is, zoom, 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 down to the bottom. My timeline opening years eighteen ninety seven. So I don't think he actually the Lost World wasn't published published to like nineteen hundred something I believe. So hey, there's an adventure waiting for the waiting for your players to do. You know, go to, you know go to Maple White Land. Um, Cretaceous Park. What was that? Yes. <laughs> uh, of course, the Brit the, the the British government has a lot of problems with uh, you know we we gave them. Uh, the, you know, the, they gave them uh, tablets. You know, both uh, you know Android and you know iPads, and they're looking and with with Wikipedia downloaded on them, and they're reading through them. And of course, my crosshair goes, "I'm reading these stories about my brother," and he points to one and says, "That's a state secret. Can you remove this?" <laughs> <laughs> And they start going through the hist- normal history, too. And, they, and luckily, it's, it's different enough that none of the other state secrets are available. But that one in the story was a state secret. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is Sherlock Holmes, but he's not the same Sherlock Holmes. Instead of uh, faking his death at Reichenbach Falls, he actually is hurt badly and, and is rescued by Watson and taken back to 221B Baker Street and nursed back to health. He still has to deal with uh, Moriarty's uh, henchmen, as he did in in, in the uh, in our in our stories, but th- it's it's a different it's a different homes it's a different set of stories the stories go differently because Europe's different there's no America there's no United States there's the American Commonwealth 
and there's working Babbage engines, and there's working, you know, uh, and air vehicles. So the stories are going to be probably closer to the Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes. You, 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 remember, you, you remember those, Richard, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking a bit more high-tech Holmes, uh, who's, you know, uh, or like the, or the two Downing ones. The two Downing yeah. ones are, I would call quasi-steampunk. Yeah, I would say that if I was to identify Sherlock Holmes on this world, it would be closest to the Robert Downey Jr. movies that have come out in the past few years. Yes, so one of the players decided to challenge him to bare-knuckle bare knuckle boxing oh. in the ring. Okay. Now, I pretty much told him, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a legendary character. Then he goes. I'm gonna go give it a try. Okay, as long as you understand that, he took him down. Took him down three in three rounds. <laughs> and this was the best fighter. This was it was uh, Mistilov, uh, the uh, ex Fesnas, the best fighter of the group, was taken down by Sherlock Holmes in three in three rounds. Three, I mean, talking three game rounds. So we're talking, you know, eighteen seconds. Well, that's how long most actual fights last. So that's not bad. Not bad. Yeah. But still, it was, they were absolutely surprised that he let him do the, do the first blow. And going, well, yeah, he's just doing a feint. And I made, all, made use of all the rules, and yeah, he was taken down. Now, poor Hong Chang was there, and she wanted to challenge Sherlock Holmes, too. And he must say he doesn't fight women. Well, you do have to remember, a lot of people don't seem to realize this, that Holmes was a very accomplished combatant with sword, mm-hmm. with fist, he knew Baritsu, which was the the gentleman's fighting art. Uh, a guy named Barton went to Japan and then adapted fighting art. So, like, you could use yep. a cane, a snuff box, a top hat, an umbrella yep. to help fight. Um, at the First World Steam Expo, there is a uh, professor, Mark Donnelly, and he was like, he got the professor title because he trained in Italy with sword fighting, he also knew Baritsu, and you could pick up just about anything and use it as a weapon. Holmes was quite proficient, and when Robert Downey Jr., Mm -hmm. him and Guy Ritchie are both practitioners of Wing Chun, which they Mm -hmm. adapted a lot of those moves into the Baritsu, hence the fighting style in those movies. So, yeah, Holmes was quite a good, he was a scientific fighter. He knew pressure points and all that. Yeah, I think also according to the canon, he also knew jujitsu. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. He yes. Basically, if you're looking at the Savage rules, rules I have, he's basically would be a legend. He would have the uh, the combat edge of martial arts master, which requires you to be legendary. That you have the improved martial arts ability, you have agility of D10, fighting of D12, and he gets a D8 to his barehanded damage. That sort of means, at the very least, he's you know if you have just normal human strength, he's doing D6, D8 damage when he punches you. Uh, in this case, he took knockout blow. So in this case, uh, on a racer fighting roll, the martial arts may deliver a knockout blow. And the opponent must take it, must make a vigor roll at minus four or full unconscious. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, minus four to your vigor roll is nasty in Savage Worlds. Yeah, you know. I know just <laughs> enough about Savage Worlds to realize that is bad. Yeah, <laughs> and you're dealing with a person who probably has D12 plus two, 
or you know, at the very least. So yeah, basically, you go against Holmes barehanded. He's going to take you out. You know, he's he's that good. Uh, yeah. The only way, he, yeah, the only way you can you can survive is to have a vigor, the same D twelve vigor, and then hopefully that's enough to keep you alive. Because you only got to do is be a four. You know, so yeah. But it was yeah, it was fun. Uh, they they found out that Hong Chang. Well, she's from Hong Kong. She's actually originally from from uh, from Sichuan province. So she has a taste for hot food, and therefore the players got involved in a little little venture of who can eat the hottest thing. <laughs> um, Hong Chang won. <laughs> oh, by that much, they say you know they decided to check the Scoville on the peppers they were eating. It was around about about half a million Scoville. Oh Lord! Oh, they found such they found a Sichuan restaurant in in England. Hey, hey, they paid you know they paid a penny for that, but he said, sure, you find Sichuan restaurant that does Sichuan, not dumbed down Sichuan. They do Sichuan. Oh, I know it's got some kick to it. Yeah, and a half a million Schofelds. <laughs> yeah, that you, you ain't playing there. You're in yeah, it to that if you eat that. Paint. What was that, Rich? It'll peel paint. Oh yes! Yeah. Oh yes! Oh yes! <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yay! Oh yay! See, of course, you know, involving it at homes, but also there's other people they can involve. There's there's plenty of people, plenty of characters. You can mine most of Victorian fiction for plots to get your players involved in. Um, and when I say Victorian fiction, that includes stuff in the Americas. So yeah, it's not United States. You still got guys out there riding horses in the range and dealing with cattle. They may be, they may have Indian, they may have American Indian names. <laughs> But they're still doing this, a lot of the same work. Uh, so you, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stories sitting in that time period. A lot of fantastic stories sitting in that time period. You get me Vern and Wells weren't the only ones writing those, that kind of stuff. There was all the Penny Dreadfuls and stuff like that. Is there a source for those? Oh, that's a good question because I dug around. I mean, I, I, I dug around a lot of Victorian sites, but... Uh, I would think that there's a lot of a lot of that's probably public domain now, so it would just be free on the internet. Just if it survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, as far as I know, okay. Um, there's you know there, there's Sherlock Holmes, there's uh, Alan Quatermain, there's oh I'm sorry, uh, there's all the various novels by Verne. So what else is there that's noteworthy? Uh, let's see. There is uh, actually I found a site. A site, Knight of the Road. Uh, you see, you got various villains. You got Springheel Jack, who's very a very Victorian uh, yeah. uh, character. Oh, how about Poe? Oh yes. Or is that too early? Yeah, it's still in the. I would say yes. You yes, sometimes you will find the you you will find the that um oh what what was it the not the abyss the uh the um the whirlpool he he, he wrote about that quote is in the front of Fringeworthy. Yes, yeah, there, that does exist. And uh, Cockney Adventures, Wild Will, Vampire. Oh well, the vampires really don't exist here. Not anyway. Uh, oh. Oh, oh, my favorite, my favorite scoundrel, Flashman. <laughs> oh, that's right. You've talked about Flashman before. 
Yeah, Flashman. He's basically he appears in Tom Hardy's school days as a as a minor character, and then uh, McDonald picked him up. Yeah, yes, there's a whole series of novels about this character who basically uh, becomes a, uh, becomes a lord by no by being an absolute scoundrel. Uh, let's see, uh, fantastic. Well, I actually want to look at fantastic literature of Victorian time because that's the page dreadfuls. A lot of them are more are more pot boilers than anything else. How about um, Horatio Hornblower? Yeah, he gets more seventeen hundreds. That that early? Okay, never mind. In that time, a lot of the uh, American sheriffs, um, some of the characters. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, in this case, they, some of them are replaced with air, with the air marshals. Okay, you know? so how much did you use uh, Forgotten Futures uh, in working with this? Oh John? yes, yes, I did, I did, uh, yes, I did mind that for several things, such as there is the uh, there 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 is the tunnel between England and France, or at least Repub- uh, Normandy, Republic of Normandy, the Kingdom of Normandy. There is the tunnel. It it's basically it goes under it goes uh, it goes halfway out and then it comes back to the surface because it is using steam trains, so they have to surface to re, to uh, rewater and then continue back down and over to over to Marseille. Okay, so why don't you make you know uh, where where can you get Forgotten Futures? Ah, from the Forgotten Futures website, and I'll get the link real quick because uh, I actually have it in my links. Uh, Marcus Rowan, he's the uh, creator of Forgotten Futures, and he's uh, uh he's he digs through a lot of this stuff. Actually, he's a good source for a lot of these adventures. In fact, any of his Victorian stuff is 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 usable. He does actually have a whole set collection of um, Professor Challenger's Amazing World. Uh, where's my Forgotten Futures? All right. So the point is that Marcus Rowan's been around for as long as gaming. Okay, so he's been working on this and expanding it, and it, it, even if you've been, even if you read the original source material, you know he puts a twist to it that might be a little bit more game friendly because he did look at this as kind of a uh, a gamer's resource. At least that's how I when I saw it, that's why it was. So it just seems to me that uh, this is one way of trying to, if you're trying to pull adventures out of these various situations, that this is a place that might happen to give it to you a little bit easier. You know, because, and I'm not talking to the GMs here, because, you know, this isn't stuff that we have to worry about, you know, copyrights. I mean, Marcus Rowland's stuff is copywritten, of course, but what I'm saying is, is that we're not publishing it, so we don't have to worry about mixing and matching it. So, you know, feel free to grab all these resources. Yes, uh, it's, it's actually ForgottenFutures.com, all one word. So, yeah, you, if you just type in ForgottenFutures.com, you'll get to his website, and he has all his links. He's got stories, basically anything that was uh, – um, basically had fallen off copyright and public domain, went to the public domain. He's gotten copies of and scanned, scanned in. So, yeah, he has various um, – it's got all his collections – which include uh, you know, the adventure taking the tunnel, which I, I didn't run for the players, but I could have if I wanted to. Do, wanted to. 
uh, the, he has the uh, uh, some science fiction, the APC files, which is uh, different. But uh, if you're looking for Victorian stuff, the right uh, the right area. Georgie Challenger's Mysterious World has a l- lovely collection. Oh, yeah, that's right, Karnacki, the Ghost Finder. You could uh, you you could actually tur- you can turn this around and say, well, maybe it's not, you know, ghosts. It's maybe something else going on here. And then there's the uh, uh, Goodbye Pic- Piccadilly. Uh, that's what be a wonderful adventure when London gets, London gets buried by a volcano. Oh, <laughs> there's Victorian vil- there's Victorian villainy, uh, the Czar Wars, which is another another stories. Uh, let's see. Oh yes, and there's some some George Griffith, the guy who wrote uh, some some wonderful science fiction at the turn of the century. Um, and uh, and it also has a lovely collection of of old Victorian stories that he's got. Another good place to dig for Victorian of this sort of steampunky stuff is Space eighteen eighty nine. Especially if you can go up to the helio up to heliograph, which is the the people who actually carry them. They carry a lot of the old uh, a lot of the old books that were put out. And they're all adaptable. I mean, you have to you have to make some adapt adaptation from the original Space eighteen eighty nine uh, settings. But there's all, they had these all this wonderful stuff, uh, adventures and so forth from the various digests they were put out. Uh, let's see, from the uh, tr- the transactions of the Royal Martian Geo- Geo- Geographical Society. Many of the adventures here were not did not take place on Mars. They took place on Earth. So you got lots of lots of things you can you can pull information from. Here, so yeah, so the source of gaming material is, is, is out there, uh, along like I said, you know, the various fantastical uh, uh, fictions as well. Actually, I was doing doing that real quick there. Ga- uh, gas lamp fantasies. There we go. Yeah, you got uh, several stories. You know, if you look, if you just do a search in gas lamp, that'll bring up gas lamp fantasies or gas gas lamp fiction. There's a lot of current novels written out there that you can use for. Uh, background. There's also uh, some old, older stuff. Um, mind Sherlock Holmes. Have your players get involved with Sherlock Holmes. He would love to play with them. Uh, <laughs> uh, various things like that. Uh, there, you know, Victorian science fiction. There, are, uh, I'm trying to remember. I remember there's a list of them someplace. Uh, not fantasy science fiction. It was um, science science romance. Science science. I think it was science romance. Yeah, because the old in the the old Victorian novels that our listeners might know, you know, like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, back in the day they were known as the scientific romances. That was the particular type of story that Verne and Wells and all them wrote. That that was their their genre title. Yeah, not to be confused with steampunk romance, which is a totally different genre. Yeah. <laughs> But scientific romance, uh, yes, there is a lot of this stuff. Um, French, uh, let's see, they have a they have a listing in in the font of all knowledge. Um, well, Jules Verne, you know, H.G. Wells, Arthur Conan Doyle, yes, yeah, and yes, there is a uh, Robar on this world, and Robar is master of the world. I know what the name of the book is, John, but for our audience. Oh yes, Robar is the creator of, of some f- fantastical devices, uh, and it's more than just an airship. He also built he also built a, a motor vehicle, like a basically a car, a supercar, 
they would you would run around and do things with uh, that also could fly. Uh, the airship is what came from Master of the World, but there's actually two two different novels that feature Robar. Uh, like there are actually two novels with Nemo, uh, Mysterious Island, of course, uh, uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, uh, and and I, I, what I want to mention is that yes, this you know, this is a bit of a spoiler, but yes, there is the, there is the sub pen, or at least the underwater facility uh, that's off one of the portals with the missing ship, missing submarine. And what I'm looking at is that it's actually not by, it's not being done by a, some, it's done by a Frenchworthy. It's the only way you get to it is if you're Frenchworthy, but it's done by, by another Victorian Frenchworthy. I said, you know what? Let's keep Nemo Nemo. He's an Indian prince. Well, we have an Indian prince who happens to be Frenchworthy, who happens to be walking along the shores of his, of his, of his uh, of southern, of southeastern India and sees a portal floating in the midair. And, you know, find, he goes through and, he, and he finds out there were four portals open. The fourth one, of course, was the portal to the, to the sea base. So, he, you know, and this is before um, the Viscount uh, finds it, find, discovers this stuff. So, yeah, he goes there and he goes back and forth. He eventually finds a higher, higher crystal than what the Victorians have. So he goes through, locks it up, gets on board the sub and, and brings it back home. Now, the question is, is it a Tremelin sub or a Commonwealth sub? I think from, for all intents and purposes, if it's a Tremelin sub, it doesn't have weapons. But you don't need weapons to sink a ship. Uh, I mean, how, the Nautilus in the novels sunk the ships by basically breaking their keels. It didn't ram them in the side. It would ram them across the keel, which is what the Ripper was for. And you break a ship's keel, it sinks like a rock. So, which you can, so you can probably, and, for, and, and considering this is a Tremelin ship, it's probably designed like a shark or like, like a fish. So it probably looks like a fish. With, you know, because, you know, Tremelin, they love to build things that look weird. Yeah, and with a nice bottleneck front, which is also good for ramming. Yeah, and so, yes, you have the Nautilus out there being run by a, 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 a Indian prince. Now, you say, why, why is he doing this? Well, for the same thing for, that Nemo did it in the novels. He lost his kingdom. He lost his principality. I mean, basically, the East India Company moved in and basically kicked him out. And he's basically a prince without a kingdom or without a principality anymore. So, yeah, he's looking for vengeance. And he's looking for vengeance from the from the Victorians. So this could be a wonderful adventure for your players to get involved with. You know, you know, you're going to be finding Nemo all over again. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's wrong. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts. 
because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.